Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part two and the conclusion of his teaching, Taking Control of Your Thought Life. Praise the Lord. This morning, we're going to finish our series on taking control of your thought life. And in part two, I'm going to share some personal testimonies of enemy strongholds that I've battled with in my mind over the years. I hope it'll encourage you and give you some practical tools that you can use where you can learn to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So let's begin with our main scripture that we used in part one, and we'll use it for review this morning and as a launch point for what we're going to talk about this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5 in the King James Version. I just find that it is said the best in the King James, this particular passage, so I can't really stray from it. It's what I learned. It's what's in me. So I'm going to use it. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. King James Version. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. That means that our warfare is not flesh against flesh. Now, if you were in the army, if you were in the Marines or in one of the armed forces, you know, that would be your job to go body to body to take the fight to the enemy. But our warfare, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, is spiritual in nature. Our warfare is waged in the spirit realm. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What kind of strongholds? Well, just keep reading. Verse 5 says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I have to read that again. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we're talking about strongholds or systems of thought that come against us in the spirit realm that primarily manifest themselves as thoughts in our minds that are contrary to God's words or God's thoughts toward us. But the Apostle Paul makes it clear here that we have spiritual weapons available to us that can pull down these mental strongholds and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, that seems impossible when you consider what we shared last week, the number of thoughts that pass through an average mind in a single day. Medical science showed us that the average person processes 60,000 thoughts in a single day And if you do the math, that's one thought every 1.4 seconds. That's a lot of thoughts. Now, it may seem impossible, but remember, God wouldn't ask us to do something He hasn't already given us the ability to do. So remember also that 90% of these thoughts that stream through our minds are repetitive. And that can be extremely negative if you let evil thoughts run amok in your mind. But it can be used to your advantage if you think about it like this. Even though thousands of thought patterns run through your mind on a daily basis, 
You can zero in on the ones that are negative, the ones that are repetitive, the evil thoughts that just keep popping up in your mind. It's not hard to find the ones that you need to stand against because they keep coming up over and over and over again. And you can concentrate your efforts on bringing those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means to think about what Jesus wants you to think about and not what the enemy wants you to think about. So let's talk about evil thoughts, worrisome thoughts, and negative future or destiny thoughts. First, we'll talk about evil thoughts. We talked about this last week, but it's so good. We got to do it again this week. Matthew chapter 15, verse 17 through 19 in the New King James Version. Jesus was having a discussion with the Pharisees about washing your hands. They had a tradition that you had to wash your hands thoroughly before you ate a meal. But Jesus said to them in verse 17, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? That means Jesus is okay with the five-second rule. If something drops on the floor and you pick it up, a little bit of dirt gets in your mouth, it's coming out the other end, he says, so don't worry about it. Verse 18, that's what Jesus said. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So Jesus is saying here that if you leave these evil thoughts unchallenged, they will eventually come out in the form of evil words and evil actions. We talked about it last week, but as I said, it bears repeating. All of the evil actions mentioned in verse 19 were preceded by evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemy, all preceded by evil thoughts. So these kinds of thoughts, being that they're so evil, have to be tackled head on. They're nothing to be trifled with. If you're new to the faith and you've allowed these kind of strongholds to take hold of your mind, you need to get some help. You need to find someone you can trust, someone mature in the faith, someone strong in the Word and strong in the Spirit, someone who can pray with you and walk you through deliverance if necessary, and most likely it will be. So let's talk about worrisome thoughts. Worrisome thoughts. Matthew 6, verse 30 through 33, King James Version. I'm sticking with the King James on some of these issues because it just says it the best. So Jesus says, wherefore, uh, all right, let me back up, give you a little background. Jesus is looking at the flowers on the hillside, and he says, look at the lilies here on the hillside. If God clothed them the way that he did, even more glorious than Solomon did, or Solomon was arrayed, he says, 
Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? In other words, he's saying, if I could clothe the flowers more gloriously than I clothed Solomon, I can take care of your garment needs. Amen. Verse 31, therefore, take no thought saying. I'm going to say that again before I read on. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. Notice that Jesus says here that the way you take a thought is by saying. He says, take no thought saying. So one of the ways that you take ownership of a thought is by saying what you think or saying what you're worried about. Very similar to what Jesus said in the last passage we read, how evil thoughts give way to evil words and then evil actions. Only in this case, Jesus is referring to people who worry about where their next meal is going to come from. What they're going to eat or drink or what they're going to wear. They're not necessarily evil words in the sense that they produce murder, adultery, thievery, and things like that. But worrisome thoughts will make your life miserable. We're talking about basic provision thoughts here and taking those thoughts might sound something like this. What are we going to do? How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay our rent? How are we going to pay for groceries? What about winter jackets? It's getting colder and all we got is hoodies. That's true in our house. My hoodie was my winter jacket when I went to the mountains last weekend. Amen. Needless to say, when you're faced with provision challenges, these kind of frantic thoughts and words are not the answer. All they do is produce constant worry, anxiety, and stress. Isn't that right? No, Jesus says, be at peace. God knows you have need of these things. He does not need to be reminded. If you will seek him first, put your trust in him, he will provide for your every need. All right, let's talk about negative future thoughts. Negative future thoughts, or some people might call them destiny thoughts. I'm going to start off by showing you in the Word that God has a wonderful future plan for us all. His plans, His future thoughts for us are good thoughts. They are not evil thoughts. Amen? I'm going to show you that in the Word in two different translations. This is one that we're all familiar with. This is one that I've been clinging to for my personal life, for my family life, for my church life for about a year now. Jeremiah 29.11 in the King James Version. Jeremiah the prophet says, speaking for God here, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Amen. That's why me and my wife like the Hallmark Channel, because we get an expected end to every movie we watch. 
Things always work out. The girl always gets the guy that's right for her. The guy always gets the girl that's right for him. As it should be, amen. An expected end. Jeremiah 29.11, New King James Version, brings out another flavor of this same idea. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Amen. Notice here that God's thoughts toward us are only thoughts of peace, never thoughts of evil. Never, ever thoughts of evil. Don't be tricked into going down that path that says God has brought this evil upon me because I've done this or I've done that because Jesus paid the price for this or that. Amen. He wants to give us a future, a hope, an expected end. Yet one of the most common and fiercest battle we face from time to time is the battle in our minds over who we're called to be, what we're called to do, who we're called to reach. Amen. So when the enemy comes in with a flood of thoughts like, uh, you know, you've made too many mistakes. You've missed it too many times. There's no way to get back on track. You've got to answer thoughts like that with the thoughts and words of God towards you. Amen. Let's talk about replacing thoughts. Whether you're facing evil thoughts, worrisome thoughts, or negative future thoughts, or all of the above, you're going to have to learn to replace those thoughts with thoughts that are in line with God's thoughts and God's word toward you. That's because you just can't stop thinking about an ungodly thing. You can't stop thinking ungodly thoughts. It simply can't be done. You know, it reminds me of the commercial years ago, probably 30 years ago. There was a commercial for some kind of cough syrup. And the guy before he took the cough syrup, he was saying things like, I will not cough. I will not cough. I will not cough. You know, that's kind of what it's like to say, I will not think this thought anymore. It doesn't work. The only thing you can do is replace ungodly thoughts with godly thoughts. Amen. And soon the ungodly thoughts will fade and the godly thoughts will arise in your mind and they'll become strongholds in your mind as it should be. Amen. You can actually find that concept in the Word in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Again, in the King James Version, it just says it. So well. Be careful for nothing. Amplified says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue 
And if there be any praise, think on these things. So right here, the Holy Spirit, through this epistle to the Philippians, is telling the church, learn to think the right kind of thoughts. Amen. Paul tells the Philippians not to worry or be anxious about anything. Instead, take your concerns to God in prayer and then let the peace of God reign over your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Amen. And then reinforce that peace by replacing ungodly thoughts with godly thoughts. Amen. This is my go-to verse here, Philippians 4.8. Whenever I'm struggling in my mind and thoughts come that I don't want in there, of various types of thoughts, I say, no, I think true, honest, and just thoughts, pure and lovely thoughts, thoughts of virtue, thoughts of praise, thoughts of a good report. Those are the kind of thoughts I think about. And most of the time, by the time I finish that litany, the evil thought, the bad thought is gone because I've replaced it with God's thoughts, God's recommendation for thinking. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to spend the rest of this session today, part two, and the last part in our Taking Control of Your Thought Life series. I'm going to spend the rest of the time sharing some personal examples in my own life, and I pray that they'll have an impact in your life. This first one comes under what I call danger thoughts. Danger thoughts. In the 90s, when our family was still living in Louisiana, our girls were little. I think they were four, three, and two, and they were just beautiful little toddlers. And, and Trisha and I were serving as youth pastors at our local church, and I was flying for the Air Force Reserve as well. And, and I remember driving home one day from the Air Force Base when suddenly my mind was flooded with thoughts of horrible things happening to my girls. I can't even voice some of them. You know, being maimed, injured, killed, kidnapped, and the thoughts just took root somehow. And then the added anxiety was I had this impression that they were being hurt and I couldn't get to them fast enough to help them or save them. No matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't stop thinking these thoughts. They just kept coming. Soon they began to plague me every day. I would drive back and forth from the Air Force Base to our home. It was a 40-minute commute one way, and so I had a lot of time to think, and my thoughts, unfortunately, were con consumed with harm coming to my girls, my little girls, my precious little girls. Finally, after a lengthy time of praying in the Spirit over a week or so, I realized that I had allowed a stronghold to plant itself in my mind, and I had to do something about it. So I felt impressed in my spirit to memorize large portions of Psalm 91 and to begin speaking those words over my girls every time these thoughts would rise up in my mind. A thought would rise, and I would say, No! No evil shall befall them. No plague will come nigh their dwelling. A thousand may fall at their side and ten thousand at their right hand, but it will not come nigh them. For you have given your angels charge over them to keep them in all their ways, and they will bear them up in their hands, lest they dash their foot against a stone. That was my standard mantra 
the same thing over and over again. It was like I was going eye to eye with the enemy saying, you're going to give me those thoughts over and over again. I'm going to give you the word over and over again, and we'll see who wins. And I just kept hammering every thought that would come into my mind, hammering them with what God said and what God thought about my girls. If I was somewhere private or in my car, I would say it out loud. If I was in public like in Walmart, I would say those words under my breath. But I would not allow those thoughts to enter my mind without being challenged, without hitting them head on with the Word of God. At first, there seemed to be little or no relief. It was a fierce battle. But after about three weeks, I noticed a drop in the frequency of those thoughts. They stopped coming as often. They came sporadically for a while, but I, I kept hammering them with the word. Consequently, after about three months, the thoughts dwindled and dwindled until they stopped coming altogether. And any time they did try and pop up again, I would smack them down with the word. Amen. As I said, it was a long and fierce battle but it was one I was determined to win, and it's one that I did win. Now, 30 years later, the devil doesn't have any new ways or new plays in his playbook. So from time to time, he will try to bring thoughts into my mind about harm coming to my grandchildren, for heaven's sakes. But it doesn't work. Why? Because Psalm 91 is so much a part of my inner man that it just dominates any sign of the same kind of thoughts trying to take hold of my mind about my grandchildren. Amen. Now I want to share a personal example. First time I've shared it in such detail in public. It was such a traumatic time in my life. I find it difficult to share this with people. But I'm going to because I think it will help you. This example comes under what I called negative future thoughts or destiny thoughts. So back in December of 1994, I was contacted by the NASA Research Center in Cleveland, Ohio. I was an Air Force pilot with advanced degrees in engineering, and I had applied for a position there flying as a research pilot for NASA. So me and two other guys were chosen from about 60 applications to be interviewed for the job. I was thrilled. Talk about the dream job of all time. And also I thought if I'm a NASA research pilot, it gives me a leg up in my aspirations of becoming an astronaut. But I was not selected. I was ranked number two by the pilots, engineers, and scientists who were on the selection committee. There was some consolation. The chief pilot told me over the phone that his pilots liked me the best, but the engineers liked the other guy the best. And he said the engineers have all the pull here at the research center. So they got their way. So just a few months later, out of my severe disappointment, I applied for another research pilot position at Ellington Field in Houston, also for NASA. You know, I, I interviewed, 
I was not selected, but I was told that I could, I could improve my chances in the future if I got more T-38 time. I had about, at the time, about 70 hours in the T-38 supersonic jet that the NASA guys fly. So I made an unwise decision to take a T-38 instructor position, which required me to return to active duty. It's kind of a long story, but the, the Lord had instructed me years before to move from active duty Marine flying to the Air Force Reserve flying specifically so I could be more involved in ministry because ministry was beginning to blossom in my life. Well, I went my own way and did my own thing, and it didn't go well for me. I ended up failing two key instructor pilot programs, which finally convinced me that the grace and favor that was once on my life to fly all sorts of different aircraft was no longer on my life. In less than a year, my military career had collapsed around me, and I was urged by the Spirit of God to return to my previous position at Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana because that was the last place I knew I was in the center of God's will. And I did so. I returned. But because of my fall from grace, I was shunned by the leadership there. You see, when I made the disastrous decision to leave my unit and return to active duty, I was the chief pilot of the unit. And they had been grooming me for a command position. Favor and grace were on me in a strong way. But I squandered it by chasing a wrong path for a dream that I had in my heart. Consequently, the leadership told me that I would never be considered for a leadership position again. I might not even fly again. And the wing commander made it his personal assignment to run me out of the unit on a rail if he could. All the previous favor that I had had vanished. As a result of all this, I slipped into deep depression that lasted for many, many weeks. And I don't get depressed Most of you know that about me. I've always been an even keel kind of guy. Anyway, these are the kinds of thoughts that began to bombard me daily. I mean the day we returned to Barksdale Air Force Base. You know, it traumatized my wife, too. And we had two cars, and we were driving back from Mississippi, and she bawled the whole way back to Barksdale. And I didn't bawl, but, man, I had this deep depression thing on me, and it was not fun. It was not fun. So here's the kind of thoughts that just bombarded me daily. You'll never fly again if the wing commander has anything to say about it. Your dreams are over. You'll never regain the favor that you have lost. You'll never serve in a leadership position again. You've missed it too big to recover. Your fellow pilots and air crew members will never respect you the way that they did. And I unwisely just let those thoughts come and come and come and come. In my little pity party, I didn't make any effort to resist those thoughts with the thoughts of God. So after a few weeks of this, Trish came to me and said, Honey, you got to snap out of this. You're scaring me and you're scaring the kids. They need your leadership. Snap out of this. I mean, depression was so thick in the air It was like you could cut it with a knife. So shortly after Trish confronted me, I was in the shower, and I heard the word of the Lord come to me very clearly. He said, 
Cast off the darkness and put on the armor of light. I knew it was in the Bible, but I had to look it up. It's Romans 13, 12. Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The Lord was telling me in this verse, listen, this darkness has been around long enough. It's time for the day to spring forth in your life. It's time for you to snap out of this. Cast off this darkness and put on the armor of light and go forth and do what I called you to do. So that night I had a vision. And on the back wall of our bedroom, I saw this dark, swirling spirit. It looked like an upside-down dust devil. Dark and swirling and menacing looking. About four feet tall, just hanging out at the back of our bedroom. You see, if you indulge the flesh long enough, you will invite demonic oppression. And you will have to deal with it. And it's not the Lord Jesus It's not his uh, responsibility to deal with it. He gave you authority. He gave me authority. You'll have to take authority over the spirits that are involved in such a demonic oppression. Either you're going to have to have some help or you're going to have to self-deliver. In my case, the Lord knew I was mature enough to take care of it myself. So anyway, so I'm looking at this dark, swirling creature at the back, and I knew it was the spirit of darkness, the spirit of depression. I knew it in my spirit, and I knew he was there because I had not resisted the way I should have. I had indulged my flesh, and I had invited him to come into my house. And I heard the Lord just say to me, he said, How much longer, I heard this in an audible voice, he said, How much longer are you going to put up with that. He said it just like that, with disdain and disgust in his voice. And I said, not another second, Lord. I command you, spirit of depression, leave my house and never come back again in Jesus' name. And it left. But even though the spirit was gone, the root had been removed, I still had to battle thoughts for a period of weeks after this dramatic encounter. I lived in Psalm 138, where you find gems like this, which I personalized. Don't have a slide for it, but verse 7. I get this from verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. Verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Other translations say, the Lord will accomplish His purpose in me. You will not forsake the work of your hands. Psalm 37, 24 was another one that I clung to daily. Though I have stumbled, I will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds me with His right hand. Bottom line, there was demonic oppression involved, and I had to deal with it then I had to learn to replace all those ungodly thoughts with thoughts of a future, a hope, an expected end. 
So after a few months, I noticed that the cloud of favor that had vanished was now manifesting itself again in my life. I did fly again for another 12 years. And I did earn the respect of my fellow aircrew members as I rose through the ranks at my unit. Two years later, after this encounter, I was promoted lieutenant colonel. I was promoted to lieutenant colonel. You don't promote people to lieutenant colonel who fail two instructor pilot courses. It just doesn't happen. And two years after that, I was moved by the wing operations officer into the position of chief of wing standardization and evaluation. I was the chief flight evaluator for the entire wing. Now, I wish I could convey to you non-Air Force people just how impossible such a turnaround would be for anyone who had fallen as low and far as I had. But I'll simply end this by saying this. The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Luke 18, 27. I say it again. The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Luke 18, 27. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. No one can take those things away from me. God turned it around for me. And His grace and favor once again operated in my life. Amen. Well, I hope and pray that you've got something out of this short series and that you've learned some of the practical tools you can use to help take control of your thought life. Listen to me. It really is the key to living a life that is pleasing to God and to living the abundant life that he's planned for you and me. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part two and the conclusion of Dr. Forrest's message, Taking Control of Your Thought Life. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit unlike our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.